I always prayed that, Lord, never give me enough money that I won't rely on you. Because, you know, the reality, Todd, is that a lot of people that become successful don't rely on God anymore because they figure they've they've made it. Yeah. Whether they know God or don't know God, you know, it, it's because of God, whether they believe in God or not, that they're successful. Yeah. So it's just sad because a lot of people are very successful and not very happy and even, you know, take their own lives. Good day, everyone, and welcome to the show. On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton, and this is the Toddcast. Friends, if you're looking for information on how you can share the gospel, or if you have questions about some of the great stories we have on this show, email us at information at discipleofcity.ca. And if you haven't already, please follow along on Instagram at the Toddcast underscore DAC. My guest today graduated from Fleming College in Peterborough as a fish and wildlife technician. He worked three years with the Ministry of Natural Resources in Ontario, Canada. And in 1986, he started his own sport fishing television series called Canadian Sport Fishing. This show combined conservation, education, and exciting fishing action. The show aired for 27 years on TSN, the sports network here in Canada, and it is seen now on many Canadian TV channels and 24-7 on YouTube. Please welcome Italo Labignan. Good morning, Todd. How are you doing? Good morning. How are you? I'm great. I'm well. How are things uh, up north there? Because I'm further south than you. Well... Things are pretty good here. Um, I was actually recently in none of it, so I don't really feel like I'm up north anymore after that. But things are good here. A little wet, though. Yeah. I've got fond memories of fishing up there. So through uh, our television series, I've been blessed to travel throughout North America and uh, the Arctic, both north of Quebec and north of the Northwest Territories. So not in the wintertime. So I hope you were there non-snow darkness uh half darkness minus 30 so yeah i don't know what it's like <laughs> you must have been there in the summertime yes yep yeah. usually late summer and uh the fishing's really great up there the people are wonderful community yes. simple you know nice that i've had the chance to see what the northern part of north america looks like yeah people are lovely for sure kind of mild down by you today uh, it is. I had a walk out on the ice because we're on the water and there's about an inch of water. So I had to put my spikes on. I just went out for a walk a few hundred yards and came back just to see what the ice was like. So uh, we had freezing rain yesterday and uh, rain right now and it's supposed to get cold. So I, I'm, unfortunately, it's going to be pretty slippery out there when it starts to freeze. Yeah. Any ice fishing for you today? Uh, maybe later this afternoon. I'm blessed because I can pick and choose when I go out. I was out yesterday and the day before just to get some eating-sized perch. Um, a lot of the people down here target walleye, but uh, I get enough walleye during the season, and I have some in the freezer that I, I enjoy getting fresh perch and eating them. I actually prefer panfish from freshwater more than some of the game fish to eat. I find they're tastier. It's been a long time since I've had a good feed on perch. Uh, you should talk to Micah, our mutual friend, because he fishes quite a bit, and he'll send me recipes of the fish that he does with the kale salad that he's gotten to love from eating at our place with uh, black beans. And, uh, yeah, he, know, he knows how to cook, especially roast in a crock pot. Yeah, yeah, for sure, eh? Yeah. Uh, we used to have a cottage up near Bancroft and uh, Elephant Lake, Baptiste Lake area, if you're familiar with that, I'm sure. And, I uh, am. And ate a yep. lot of uh, perch back then. Um, really good. Kind of miss it, actually. Now that we're talking about it, I'm starting to get hungry. <laughs> um, so Italo, man, um, would love to talk about, you know, your, your show and the fishing and all that kind of stuff. But uh, can you take us, where did you grow up and, and, and faith-wise, what was it like for you when you were young? Well, um, when people ask me where I'm from, and I ask a lot of people, especially if they have an accent or they're different colored skin, ask them where they're from because there's so many immigrants in Canada. I mean, all over, but especially in Canada. When people ask me, I tell them that I'm from a country that doesn't exist. I was born from a country that doesn't exist. And that country was former Yugoslavia. So technically, I'm Croatian now. And I was raised by my parents, Roman Catholic. Um, we immigrated to Canada in 1967, and uh, we be, um, we became 
residents. And my, my parents had to work really hard because uh, they had the equivalent of about $100 in their pocket um, of our, our present value. So th- they had housing for us and everything. But anyway, we um, we didn't go to church much. And whenever we'd go to church, it would usually be, you know, either for Christmas or Easter. And uh, I got used to going to church and doing the routine in a Catholic church of standing up. I knew exactly when to stand up, when to sit down, when to kneel. I rehearsed the prayers, you know. Um, when I was at the right age, I got confirmed. Um, then First Communion. I still have my little prayer book. Um, but I went through all that. And as um, I got older, you know, so I'm going fast forward now into, let's say, the early 70s. And I was a teenager. I got this real passion for fishing. And uh, it was interesting because the doctor, um, I used to have real high emotional highs and lows. I don't know if you went through this around puberty, you know, where you could be playing hockey with your friends and one minute you're hugging and it's everything's fine. And the next minute you want to break a hockey stick over them, you know, because you're so <laughs> upset and stuff, right? So maybe hockey brings that out from us. I don't know. So my parents would work all day. My dad was a barber. My mother, a peace worker. That's Clark Pepler was a furniture store in uh, Ajax. Yeah. No longer there. And one day they took me to their to, a, to our doctor. His name was Dr. Cherwadi, and explained, you know, we don't know what's going on. He, he has all these emotional highs and lows. And his question was, we had quite a bit of wisdom. Do you spend much time with him? And they said, no, we both work, you know, long hours because we have to. We have a mortgage and so on. And he said, well, why don't you spend some time with him and do something like take him fishing or something? And he wasn't a fisherman. So I remember going to a Sears store at the Oshawa Center in Oshawa. And uh, they bought me like a 9.95 fishing kit, like a hundred piece, you know, some lures, hooks, a little rod and stuff. And he took me out to Whitby. <clears throat> I, I went to a stream and uh, didn't catch anything. And we spent about an hour and I thought it was kind of neat, but I didn't know what it was about. And then we started a pattern every Saturday in, during nice weather, they would take me somewhere they would spend time with me. We'd have a little bit of a picnic, you know, because our heritage is really Croatian-Italian. So Italians like to eat, you know, make sandwiches and stuff when you go out. So, and I'd fish, and anything that I'd catch, I, we would keep because they loved eating fish. So the more we did it, the more I enjoyed it. And I got to the point when we'd go to a church service that I was so good of having an out-of-body experience, even though I was doing the routine, standing up, rehearsing certain prayers, sitting down, kneeling, I would be on a stream or I would be, you know, on a lake catching fish and thinking about what I was going to do and stuff. So I wasn't really there. So that went on till I was about uh, 19 years old. And uh, I uh, met the woman that I eventually married. Her name was Rhonda Armstrong. And uh, we fell in love. And uh, that's the era that I went to Fleming School of Natural Resources in Lindsay. And I asked her father and mother if I could propose to her, and they said yes. So I proposed to her. We were engaged, and then when we uh, planned to get married, I went to our priest in Oshawa, and uh, I said to him, you know, I'm in love. Um, we'd like to get married. My wife-to-be is Anglican, and she'd like to get married in an Anglican church. And his response was, well, I can't marry you because she's not Catholic. Sorry. So, I mean, I was like... 19 years old, no, no idea of negotiation or, you know, really no idea of religions and stuff. To me, it was like, uh, they're different franchises, you know, one franchise doesn't like the other franchise. So I went back and I explained that to my wife and he, I told her, you know, if he doesn't marry us, then we're not recognized in the Catholic church and my parents are Catholic. She really wanted to get married in the Anglican church. So I go back to the father canning at that time. And I said to him, look, you know, it's almost like, what do I got to do, you know, like for us to get married? He goes, well, if you take like a 10-week course and uh, I'll, I'll just stand in in the Anglican Church and I'll sign the register, then it's, you know, it's confirmed in both Catholic and Anglican. So we got married in Oshawa at uh, an Anglican church, and he literally stood there, signed the thing and left. And uh, it put a really bad taste in my mouth. And I didn't want to go to church anymore because I couldn't understand why if few people are in love, why we couldn't get married and why it mattered who went to what church. So now we're at Fleming School of Natural Resources. My wife was taking agriculture management. I was taking uh, fish and wildlife technology. And uh, 
we were on a really low budget. We'd be eating a lot of craft dinners and buying them when they'd be on sale at like 17 and 19 cents a box. Have you ever had a craft dinner, Todd? I have, but that's 17 cents a box, probably about eight bucks now. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of celery with cheese whiz. Do you know what cheese whiz is? Love cheese whiz. I love yeah. cheese whiz. And peanut butter and crackers and stuff. So we didn't eat out much. I really hunted. I loved hunting and fishing, but it was all for um, consumption. You know, in the summertime, I'd hunt groundhogs, and I, I see very little groundhogs now. You know, and I would take, I, I would try to look for the young ones in June and shoot them. And uh, I'd take the, most of the meat off. They taste like cottontail. And I'd hunt geese, waterfowl, and uh, eventually deer. But everything was just for sustenance. It wasn't for trophies, even for fishing. Whatever I either shot or caught was eaten. So um, at the time, I started working for the Ministry of Natural Resources part-time get some additional income because my wife during the summer months worked at the uh, parts at GM in Oshawa and I worked at the Chrysler um, fabric facility in Ajax where they did upholstery and we were on opposite shifts which wasn't very good so she'd be working day shift I'd be working night shift we'd say hi bye you know that kind of thing so to make enough money because both our parents didn't really have money even for us to go to college it was about twenty five hundred dollars plus expenses. So we were both on OSAP loans. And uh, I was, I worked for the ministry part-time while I was in college. I love fish and wildlife technology. I, I knew I wanted to do something in the outdoors. It was an opportunity at the college to work at the hatchery because they have an educational fishing hatchery at Fleming Natural Resources. So I applied for the job, but there was a gentleman that was a year ahead of me I was going through to be a technician. He was going through to be a technologist, which is a three-year course, fish and wildlife. His name is Tim Arndt from Kitchener, Ontario. And uh, we both sat outside before the interview, and I figured I didn't have much of a chance because this guy had a year up on me. So we went in and met with a professor that taught aquaculture. And a result of the meeting was that he liked both of us, and uh, both of us got the job. So in a way, that was great because we had some more pocket money for groceries, but also we had time to fish and hunt, and both of us loved to fish and hunt. So I remember uh, after getting to know him a little bit, he was he was a mature student, and I was a mature student. So, you know, a mature student is one that's married and older, not younger, like in the teens or early 20s and stuff. So uh, he said one day, you know, why don't you, would you like to come over for dinner on Sunday? Um and I said, sure. I mean, opportunity to eat at somebody else's place. Um, so my wife and I went over to his apartment for dinner. It was Sunday. We had dinner. And then he said, you know, it's uh, almost 7 o'clock. We go to church. Would you like to come to church with us? And my first question was, well, what church do you go to? And they said Pentecostal. And it was one of these, you know, I, I kind of looked at my wife and it was like, well, you know, what, what's Pentecostal? And I was raised Roman Catholic. Yeah. And she goes, well, I, don't, I think they like sing and they clap their hands and stuff. <laughs> so it's like, you know, do you think it's across the little table, right? Do you think we should go? Okay. You know, so, okay. I said, sure. So we finished dinner. We walked to the church, which was um, Calvary Pentecostal in Lindsay. And uh, we went in and it was a small, maybe, I don't know, 15 pews, 10 pews, but a small church. And of course, they walk right up to the front. And we're like in the second pew from the front. Of course. The and pastor the- was a pastor called Pastor Churchill. He was a bonanza type man, all big hands, you know, looked like a character out of a movie. I don't remember what the sermon was on. There was no altar call. I enjoyed the singing and people were clapping. At the end of the service, the pastor came over to us and said, what church do you go to? And I said, we don't go to any church. And he just, uh, you know, thanked us for coming out. And we went, my wife and I went back to our apartment because we could walk to our apartment close to the college. And as soon as I got close to the apartment, I started fe- feeling a lot of fear. Um, and the closer I got and went inside the apartment, all I wanted to do was go to the washroom, get changed, get in bed and go under the covers. And I was trying to recite as many prayers as I could remember, like the Our Father and Hail Mary over and over again. At that point, my wife was a little concerned because I wasn't really talking to her. And she handed me a Bible. I hadn't really read the Bible, even though I had to read some scriptures when I got confirmed and before First Communion. And uh, I wasn't through school. I wasn't much of a reader because I spent so much time, even in high school, I would skip out 
in the afternoon to go fishing and I'd be late in the morning for classes because I was fishing. And I remember, you know, coming home and with my report card and my father, when I was in high school, would, would look at my report card and said, you know, look, look at your marks. What are you going to do? Put fish on your report card, you know? So God has a sense of humor. So I've got lots of bright fish on my report card, right? Uh-huh. Even though I had, I had a D minus, I was like the Tommy and Tommy boy. I don't know if you saw the movie <laughs> where he looks and he goes look down the list and he goes, D minus, yes, I passed, you know, kind of thing. Because yeah. I thought, I'm not going to use algebra or French or history, you know, why, why am I taking all this stuff? So in college, I worked really hard, and I, I started developing an ulcer because I wanted to be like the top student in the fish and wildlife class. And there were about 3,500 students that were trying to get into the fish and wildlife course, and they only accepted about 150. So you had to have an A or an A+. plus. So anyway, we're in college. And I was a normal guy, didn't do any drugs, pot or smoked or anything. And But I had this fear going into our apartment. And uh, my wife hands me a Bible, which I've never read before. And I look at this book and it's thick. And I don't know where to start. So I kind of opened it in the middle. And my eyes fall on this small paragraph. And I read it. <clears throat> The paragraph was Psalm 121. I'm sure you're familiar with it. I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? It from, comes from the creator of heaven and earth. And it goes on and on and on. And it ends. It's only, I don't know, maybe 10 sentences that he'll watch me from this day forth and forevermore. Which to me, I understood it as being saved. He that watches over Israel will watch over you. So you, you won't be, the sun won't smite, smite you by day or the moon by night. So I read that little paragraph, and then I, I don't remember what happened. I couldn't fall asleep because I was so restless, and I read that. And then I woke up the next morning, and I went into my routine. I went to the washroom. I made coffee, and I had to almost stop because inside my head I was saying, praise you, Lord, hallelujah, which I've never done before, just to myself. And I went to college, and uh, in college at that time, I don't know if it's different now, it was very common to use the F word, but not derogatory. Hey, how the F are you? You know, did you get an F and fish and, you know, whatever, you're going to the F in class? And people would come up to me, friends, and they would step back three or four feet and apologize for swearing. And I go, what are you doing? What are you apologizing for? So they could sense something. And I know now that it was the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I had this clarity. I had this clarity that I didn't have to speak anything that I didn't want to. So it's almost like... I don't know if you ever had the flu where you feel groggy and you can't think straight and you're weak. It was like up until that point, I had this flu symptom that I couldn't think straight or didn't know what was coming out of my mouth. And then it was like gone. Just such clarity and health. When you, uh, when you, sorry, when you um, went home and had that fear, when you read that Psalm, did, did the fear leave you? I fell asleep. All I remember before that I was restless. You know when you're you got stuff on your mind, yeah. you, just, you can't you just can't fall asleep. Your brain just keeps going. She handed me the Bible. I opened it up kind of in the middle, and because I didn't know it's a big book, One, yeah. it was a gift from somebody when we got married. And I read that psalm, and I just remember waking up. Wow. And that's when I was saying inside my head, "Praise you, Lord, Hallelujah." So, God, between you and me, there's a reason why it's called the Living Word. Our words are very powerful. God's word is most powerful. Yeah. So when we read his word, the words can be read like letters on a page, or they can go directly into our heart, into our spirit. Yeah. That's why it's so important for people that are searching for God or that know God to continuously read the scriptures because it's God's word and it's a living word. It's alive. Amen. So it can give power to give life, right? So that happened, and uh, a few days later, I wanted to read more. I was curious about what I read, because I wasn't even sure what I read. I was kind of <laughs> like the guy at the at the pool of Vesida that was crippled, you know, and Jesus healed him, and he didn't even know Jesus' name. He just healed him, yeah. you know? Um, so 
when I was in, I got to go back to high school, I go back and forth. When I was in high school, you know, in English, we'd, we'd read a, a Shakespeare story or a Hemingway story, you know, as we had to do some writing for English. And I would always cheat. You know, I'd read the first, I don't know, 20 pages and then I'd go to the back, you know, and read like kind of the ending. I kind of got an idea of what the thing was. And I'd, from there, I'd, wrote a, I'd write the essay or whatever. And that's why I got a D minus, right? <laughs> so, so, but I got away with it. And I would tell people that when they'd say, oh, did you read the book? I go, yeah, well, I read the front and the back. And they go, no, you don't do that. You know, you got to kind of progress and build up to the ending, you know, of any book. So I've got this Bible and I want to read it. And I'm kind of looking at it, going through it, and it's, man, it's a big book. But it looks like it's in two sections. And the back section is smaller than the front section, right, which is the New Testament. So I thought maybe I'll start there because it might be, I might get an idea of what the whole thing is about, right? (laughs) And you know what? I was right. Because everything that Jesus spoke is in the Old Testament, you know, and plus he added some things, you know, to to confirm what it meant. So I'm reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and uh, I'm not reading it all at once. You know, I'd read a little bit each day, and then I get to John 14 to 17, where Jesus talks about being in the vine and uh, that the Father is the husbandman that trims the vine. And then he prays for us, to God the Father, that we would be one, like Jesus is with God, one. And I'm bawling my eyes out. I still have the Bible in the car, the original Thompson chain, um, King James Version. And I was crying so hard that I got a nosebleed. So I'm wow. trying to wipe the blood off the pages. And I've got tears falling down and a little bit of snot. You know, and I'm trying, I still have the stains on the Bible. Because those words went directly into me. And then I would call my parents and say, uh, you know, Mama, Papa, God is real. You know, Jesus has really died for our sins. You know, if we believe in him, we have eternal life. And their first reaction was, okay, who have you been hanging out with? You know, (laughs) what what are you involved in? Right. So I had to explain to them, no, Mom, I'm reading the Bible or Papa, you know, they're still alive and they love the Lord. By the way, they're elderly, you know, and they have their own challenges. And then uh, we started going with Tim and Linda, his wife, to church regularly. And I really enjoyed it to the point that, um, you know, we even wrote some song and did some singing at the church and that kind of thing. And my life was never the same since that experience of reading Psalm 121. I met people in my early years, you know, two or three years after I was saved, that would say, you know, you're excited now, you're on fire, but you wait when you have enough life experiences, you're going to change. And my response to them was, I will never change, even if someone threatens to kill me. That that, um, that is the worst when people say that. I've had people say that to me too. So not true when you get struck by the power of God. Come on. Amen. You can't help it. You know, and God God showed me so many things, miraculous things, in the early part of my salvation that he was real and uh, that he was working in my life. So, you know, and from then on, it's been a journey. It, it took me probably until I married. My first wife passed away from primary liver cancer. So she was the love of my life. We were married 24 years. She passed away at 44. She died in my hands. I was able to surrender her to God. And uh, it was very hard. And then I met my present wife, Barbara, who had never been married before. And Barbara had a real love for Israel. She had gone to Israel like over 20 times and on mission trips and everything. And then the more I read and I go through and look at Psalm 121, I started to get an understanding um, of more about the character of God and the love that he has for all of us, Jews and Gentile, but especially uh, true Israel, true Jews that love God, that know God. Um, so Barb has really been a blessing to me over the years. So we've traveled, we've gone four times to Israel. If uh, you go to our Italo Labigna YouTube channel, we shot uh, four shows in Israel. I think we were the first company to work with um, Amir Gisson, who was the Council General for Israel, and he invited us to film in Israel. So we fished on the Sea of Galilee. We fished in the Dan River for trout. We fished in the Mediterranean, and we fished in the Red Sea. So we did a real marathon, because Israel isn't very big, but in like 10 days, we did the whole loop of Israel. So we'd be getting up at like midnight or 2 in the morning, you know, to get to a destination and start filming and stuff. So we still have friends in Israel. 
and uh, Barb um, still does something that's called the Israel IPW Israel Prayer Watch, where once a month they pray for um, over all of the emails that come in from all the Messianic congregations in Israel, and we support them. So uh, that's how my life has been. Um, I truly walk by faith and not by sight. One thing that I do, Todd, every morning, every morning, I uh, acknowledge who God is, all of his names, all of the Jehovah, Nisi, Raha, all of them, who he is. And then I thank him for everything that I have, but most of all, my salvation. And then I release everything to him, everything, so that Satan doesn't have a hold on my life. So I tell him, if you want to take my life today, no problem. My wife, kids, grandkids, everything, my plans, it's all yours. I I, uh, believe that if true believers surrender everything daily to God, realize that he's in control, number one, that's what God desires. I think, you know, in the scriptures, all of the rules that God gave in the Old Testament for the Jews and all of their, their feast, God's feast that they were supposed to keep and everything was to remind them continuously that God is in control, that God is present and to rely on God. But to me, to acknowledge who God is every day, surrender everything to him and then ask him to bless you and to be your Jehovah Shammah, to be with you wherever you go around you, you know, and I would encourage you to do that just because of your job, you know, because you can get into a situation that could be dangerous. Um, You have the confidence you speak it that he's with you and you realize that he's with you. So easy for us to forget that God is in control, you know, whether it's if we plan on doing something that's not right or um, that we're trying to do something that's difficult and we're having a hard time. If he's in control, he can help us in all those areas. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. That is an amazing story of, of the word, the living word of God, like you said, just coming coming to your heart and the power of uh, what was imparted on you in that church. It would be really cool, although I'm sure you'll hear one day, but it would be really cool to know what the pastor preached on, what it was, right, that that uh, fell upon you that day at that church, that Pentecostal church. I know, All- I know, I know it was the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> yeah, well, for sure, yeah. So it was being in his presence, and it might have been uh, the first time that his spirit was freely roaming in that service. And whatever the pastor said, as you say, you know, went into my heart. Yeah. I uh, just prayed for our pastor here in, uh, in Napanee. His name is Todd too. Todd fought. Oh, he must be a great guy. <laughs> He's an awesome guy. He's an awesome guy. So I prayed for him. And uh, one of the things that I prayed was that when he speaks, and this was praying aloud to him, you know, we were just, the two of us, um, so that when he speaks, that they would be like arrows going out of his mouth, holy arrows, you know, either for conviction yeah. or for healing, but they would go right through the flesh into the person's heart. Wow. Because it's one thing for a pastor to get into a routine yeah. and to just, you know, plan kind of like an essay and what he's going to say and use scriptures, which is wonderful. But it's another one to be full of God's spirit so that when you speak, like darts going out to the people. Yeah. And it's all for good, all for God's glory. You know, that's funny. That's interesting that you said that um, quite a while ago with uh, some of our ministry team, we were at in Australia at a, a thing called Jesus School in Australia, and it was all about teaching about our identity in Christ and, and who God really is and who we are in him. And it's funny that you say that because the the people that were teaching and preaching at that school I almost felt like I described it to my wife. It's almost like Jesus was tucked up in the corner of the building, firing these little arrows of truth that were hitting people in the heart. That's uh, interesting that you say that. And you know, what's really awesome about your story is the couple that invited you to the church. It's the whole essence of what Disciple of City is for, right? That this couple would just invite you guys over, just love on you, share a meal with you. And not that it's about inviting people to church or whatever, but that's what they did. But just of them sharing the word, wanting to share the word, you know, and, and bringing you to that church for you guys to hear the word. It's fantastic. I'll add something about uh, Tim and Linda Arndt. Um, I call them closers, closers for the gospel, you know. Um, so all they did was invite us to dinner and to church. 
right? No preaching, no, you know, condemning, no uh, anything. Yeah. At the time, that college era, he probably helped in closing, I'm going to say, hundreds. It was the same thing. It may not have been the same way, but just inviting them to go to church. And some became pastors, you know, and they're still pastoring out east in the Maritimes. So God uses true believers in all different ways. We know that the spirit of hospitality is really important. We know that um, um, the spirit of confidence is important to be able to speak to someone, anybody, just godly words. If we truly believe that the kingdom of God is inside us and wherever we're walking, that the kingdom of God is present, wherever we come up to, whether it's someone that um, is shunned by the world or someone that's not, we have the Holy Spirit inside us and they should feel God's presence. So whether whether we just speak a word of encouragement or hello or automatically they're drawn to us because of God's spirit and it goes deeper than that, that's what it's all about. I believe that, um, you know, if we really want to be like Jesus, and I tell people all the time, you know, read the New Testament, see what Jesus' character was like. He had no fear of going anywhere. He was God incarnate, but the example that he was for us was that he spoke to anybody. He would invite himself to gatherings where there were a lot of sinners, you know, and there's a lot of true believers that go to church and that can't even think of being with an unbeliever or yeah. someone that's a sinner because it might, they might catch something from them, you know, where we shouldn't have that attitude. We have the, we have the power of God inside us, the yeah. same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And we have his spirit and we have the kingdom of God inside us. And we're we called to anywhere. be with them, right? We're called to be and with we can, them. Exactly. To be in the world, not of the world, but in the world. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so now there is a big blessing to, to live, you know, with your parents coming here and, and to struggle to make ends meet and how you talked about, you know, uh, struggling to have money and just to survive and hunting for sustenance and everything. And then a big, obviously a big blessing because you, you came out of that to to start your own show to do something that you really love and are passionate about so can you talk about how the show came about and then and then uh sure. your your faith sure tied that yeah and it'll surprise you so remember this prayer about releasing everything to god every day yeah i did that even in my youth when i was in college and uh i was a young husband young father to our first daughter I walked down Victoria County Road 17, which is where the drive-in used to be in Lindsay, and I had a very short talk with God, just inside myself. It was, Lord, thank you for my wife. Thank you for my salvation, for our child, for the passion that you've given me for the outdoors. I surrender everything to you, whatever you want to do with my life. In Jesus' name, that was literally my prayer. When I look back, he took me on a direct route to what I'm doing today. So here's what happened. I uh, was still still in college and working for the MNR part-time. I would be looking in the mirror in the morning, shaving, and I would start talking to the mirror about fishing. Wow, that's a nice fish. Look at the colors of that fish. And it seemed pretty normal. I uh, had the desire to draw a drawing, and I drew a drawing, and I filed it away. I wasn't really an artist, but uh, I did tinker and drawing and stuff. And one day I was fishing Wilmot Creek, which is in Newcastle, Ontario, in March. It was around March 15th. And I was all by myself, and I knew that the timing was right to catch really big rainbow trout or steelhead. And uh, I was fishing by myself right where it goes into Lake Ontario. And a person was driving down the cliffs with, like, a Toyota Land Rover. Like, I remember this is, like, 77, 78, just before I graduated. And uh, the car stopped. The guy walked down. He was from Australia. His name was Colin McLaren. And uh, he was just dressed, not for fishing. He was just driving around. And he said, I'm in a real pickle. I've got this rental, beautiful truck. And I think it's going to roll over because I came down where I shouldn't have. And it's on an angle, a really steep angle. Do you mind trying to get it out of there? If you roll it, it's okay. I go, okay. You know, so I go up there and, uh, I figured that if he went forward at that much of an angle, that I could go back in reverse and slowly, slowly, slowly snail my way back to where it was flatter. I did that. 
So he came down. I, so the car was, the vehicle was fine. I uh, caught a few more fish. I caught a lot of fish because it was, they were all staging at the mouth of Wilmont Creek. And he said, wow, you know, you're a really nice guy. You're good natured and you're a really good fisherman. Have you ever thought about having your own TV show? Remember, this is like 77, 78. So I'm like, no, you know, there's no, so we get, there's no VHS tapes. There's no nothing. There's no internet. There's no cell phones. There's no fax machines, computers. Right. And I go, no, I haven't, you know? So he said, well, why don't you meet me at the Toronto boat show? Because I got to go back to Australia. And I asked him what he did. And he said, I'm a TV producer. I produce 30 second commercials. Wow. And I said, wow. Like what kind of commercial? He said like Canada Dry and you know GM commercials. And I go, is that you make a good living? He goes, I made seven thousand dollars a week in seventy seven, seventy eight. Okay, so wow. this is like you know in the days when TV was everything, you know, and they paid big bucks for these commercials, right? He said, I got to go back to Australia because I'm done my work here, but I'd like to meet with you. So I met with him at the Toronto Boat Show, and he said, you know, find a production company. So well, I have no money. He goes, find a production company and uh, see. Tell them that um, you want to do a fishing series and if they'll shoot a pilot and they cover all the costs of shooting it and editing it and you take it to a TV station, if they accept it, and they get the job. They get to produce the series. And I went, okay. So it's funny because the first shooting was my dad, who's a barber, with a three-quarter inch camera in like 1919, I don't know, because this didn't happen right away, probably early 80s. And uh, he's shooting with a three-quarter inch camera like you would with a eight millimeter at a wedding. You know, so he'd be going, look, there's my son. He's catching it. And I'm going, Papa, no, 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 you can't talk. You know, <laughs> I, I've got my microphone. I've got to talk. You can't talk like narrate, you know, look at He's having fun catching fish, you know. So he shot. And then I said, this isn't going to work. He, he, you know, he just can't shoot video. So we found, I found a video production company, Hills, out of Burlington, Ontario. And we did, we, we pitched them on them shooting a pilot. And we shot the pilot at um, the Saugeen River at Denny's Dam in Southampton in the fall. At that time, there were no big conglomerates for television. So I went to C- CFTO, which was which is now where TSN is. And they bought the whole, you know, uh, Bell Media thing. We went to CHCH in Hamilton. And... Uh, they both liked the pilot, even though it was very crude, you know, because we're going back so far. And uh, we were at the Toronto Sportsman Show, and there was this booth, a 10 by 10 booth with just a banner that said TSN and one of those plywood tables like they have in schools. And I went up to them, and I said, what's this TSN? He goes, well, um, it's a sports network. We're just starting, and we're looking to have, you know, sports footage and so on. And thought – okay, well, if you're going to be like a sports channel, maybe that's the channel we should be on. Even though they had no viewership, they didn't have anything. Literally just the beginning of infrastructure. So we shot, we went to sponsors and said, would you like to sponsor this pilot? And at that time, the only fishing show that was on was the Red Fisher show. We're going way back, you know. Yeah. Um, now there's all kinds of shows, you know, on YouTube and everything. So they, they um, the ex- we went with TSN, we pitched the sponsors, and they said, well, what's the viewership? We'll go, we don't know. It's going to be a sports network. I can't tell you. So we made a deal where we had enough money to shoot a series and some money left over. So TSN gave us commercial time, and we, we sold the commercials to the sponsors. That's how we made our money. So just before the 13 episodes were done, the first year, TSN said, why don't you do another 13 and then we've got 26, and if we air them twice, that gives us a show every week of the year. Went okay. So that went on for a few years, and then TSN did something called positive action that the CRTC allowed them. They gave TSN to everybody, and unless you, you took positive action, then you got billed after it was free. So I don't think they can do that anymore. So the, TSN went from little, literally zero viewership to 5 million, 6 million viewers across Canada. Mm, wow. So that's when we were getting ratings up to a half a million people per episode or a quarter of a million people per episode, an average like of 100,000 per episode. The episodes would be on three to five times a week, prime time on Saturday and Friday. So we were on TSN for 27 years. And then... Uh, I have to tell you that I'm going to go back again because I missed something very important. You know, when I drew that picture, yeah, that picture became the logo for Canadian sport fishing. 
You know, when I was talking to the mirror about fishing, I realized when a camera is in your face, all you it's close to you, all you see is your reflection in the lens. A lot of people freeze, but God was already preparing me to speak to the camera. And uh, as soon as we started making some money, and even before, God put a prayer in my heart. So in addition to surrender everything, he literally said to me, this is what I want you to pray. Lord, never give me enough money that I won't rely on you. Have you ever heard taught of something called an echo prayer? Mm, no. An echo prayer is when you feel God wanting you to pray something, and you pray it so that God hears it. Oh, okay. I call it an echo prayer. Yeah, okay. Prayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I kept praying that even before the show and before making money. And I couldn't understand why, because I was a struggling young father, a young husband, trying to figure out this whole, you know, relationship thing and scrounging to pay a mortgage payment. We had our first house and, you know, that kind of stuff. And then I realized as soon as we started making money from the television series that I kept praying, Lord, never give you enough money that I won't rely on you. So any money that we made didn't go into buying a car, a new car, a new thing. It went back into the company. The company grew and grew, and we we started a sport fishing magazine called Canadian Sport Fishing. We started other television series. We had an outdoor series called Outdoor Sportsman and The Great Outdoorsman. We had a female fishing series called Natural Angler, all kinds of stuff. But the money went back into the company, and I always prayed that, Lord, never give me enough money that I won't rely on you. Because, you know, the reality, Todd, is that a lot of people that become successful don't rely on God anymore because they figure they've they've made it. Yeah. Whether they know God or don't know God, you know. And it's because of God, whether they believe in God or not, that they're successful. Yeah. So it's just sad because a lot of people are very successful and not very happy and even, you know, take their own lives because they just can't fill that void that only God can fill. Yeah. So the company became more and more successful. And uh, even today, uh, it's 37 years that the programs Canadian Sport Fishing are airing. They're airing on Wild TV and on Yes TV, which is part of the Crossroads television system. Wild TV, they're all over Canada. They have about uh, 800,000 subscribers, plus on a YouTube channel. And I started another series four years ago called Here's the Catch, a saltwater series, that uh, after COVID, um, I stopped filming. And even for Canadian sport fishing, I'm doing a lot of videos for YouTube, but I don't think I'll be doing new episodes just because it got harder and harder post-COVID to get everything, boats, motors, this uh, supply shortage problem. Yeah. You know, everything was all messed up. So God is good. I still pray that prayer to release everything to him every day. He meets all of our needs. Um, I have a wonderful wife. Beautiful. My parents are still alive. Beautiful children, grandchildren, three wonderful dogs that are very patient outside as we speak together. <laughs> and I can go fishing off the front lawn kind of thing, you know. So we're blessed. Yeah, that's awesome. Italo, do you, you know have, do, do you have some uh, stories of... Um, like I imagine in, in your shows, you've you've gone fishing with other people and stuff. And, and do you have some stories of maybe some conversations that have occurred off camera where people have sensed something with you and, and questioned your faith? Or do you have any stories of how you had an opportunity to share with people? Um, many, many stories, but I want to tell you something. I'm a firm believer in the power of prayer. When I say firm believer, when God shows you the answer to the prayers that you've been praying. And before I go into people, I'm going to tell you that God even answers prayers for animals. We have a very good friend. His name is Gerald Fisher, Jewish fellow, and his wife, Anna Ray. And uh, they've had these beautiful big show dogs. Um, the last time that we were with them, or one of the last times, they got a new dog, a, a big German breed. I forgot the name, you know, and... Uh, he developed a hip problem. His name is Gabriel. Beautiful big dog. And uh, I've had a chance to witness to Gerald. Um, almost every time we get together, we would have Passover together. He'd invite us over with rabbis, you know, and even pastors. So he's very open-minded. But his wife is, is she a rabbi? Barb? Her, dad was. Her dad was a rabbi. So um, they're practicing Jews. Um, 
and he saw me with Gabriel on his front lawn. I was maybe 30 yards away. And I put my head on Gabriel's head, and I said a prayer to God to heal him because he's such a beautiful pup. And he was already like 100 pounds, and this, these dogs are almost 200 pounds. Gerald saw me at a distance. And you know what? That dog stood up, and he was healed. Wow. Healed. So Gerald came up to me, and he said, what did you do? And I go, I prayed. The guy would heal Gabriel. And he was still, he just, he couldn't understand the concept of like saying uh, not a recited prayer, but a prayer to God to heal this animal and to be sincere from the heart. And God healed him on the spot. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. So I still hear from Gerald every once in a while. He lives um, in Jerseyville, which is quite a distance from us, north of Hamilton. And we're here near Kingston. So I'll tell you one, many people have um, contact me, you know, through social media. And there was a gentleman called Greg Shanley, um, who's in Ottawa, that contacted me and said, uh, you know, my my son has a brain tumor. He's 20, 22. And uh, he, uh, we don't know how long he has. He loves to fish. You know, would it be possible for him to meet? And I said, well, yes. Why don't you come down? At the time we were in the Niagara region, I said, why don't you come down and we'll go fishing at the base of Niagara Falls, which I had permission to go right to where the Maid of the Mist was. You can't go there now. And we went there and we caught some fish and we went back to the house where we lived in the Niagara region. And uh, I was um, encouraging them the whole time. Um, his son was tired because of the tumor. So he'd have to lay down for an hour or two. And I remember being in our garage and his father, Greg, you know, I, I had I had recited Romans, I think it's chapter eight, you know, that nothing can separate us from the love of God no matter, you know, things in heaven or anywhere. And uh, we, I remember vividly being in the garage and him saying, you know, he was Catholic. What do we have to do to be saved? I want to make sure my son is saved if he passes away. And I said, well, it's simple. Just have faith in God. And we can say a prayer right now. We prayed together. His son passed away maybe four or five months later. But I was so thankful that just from meeting their request, and actually taking them fishing and spending some time together and talking about, you know, just how much God loves us and sharing with them some scriptures that the Holy Spirit worked in their hearts, both of them, for them to come to know God as their own personal Savior. I could give you many examples like that of, um, you know, being with people and praying with people. This thing about prayer, um, if, do we have enough time? How are we doing on time? Yeah, we're we're. We're kind of coming close to the end, but yeah, you okay. keep going. Yeah, for sure. So I got to tell you a story. We're filming at a place on uh, Quadra Island in BC, Sonora Lodge. This place is like a $20, $30 million lodge. And we're working at the time with um, RJR McDonald, Export A, they had the Export A Salmon Showdown, where they picked 12 people in BC to fish one day and the winner would get $100,000. The whole thing was to promote tobacco. Okay, but at the time, we were working with RJR. We get to this lodge, and we meet the owner, Michael Ant. Michael Ant has a leather jacket, and on the chest says, My Lodge, My Rules. And I had heard that he was a very odd guy, that um, even presidents from company that would bring all their staff for hospitality trips, he would drink and get drunk and even throw them into the Pacific Ocean. So, yeah, so RGR was there probably, I'm guessing, 200000 to a quarter million dollar budget to have hospitality, people flown in, a jet ranger helicopter on the pad. We're talking big bucks. So they, they take over the whole lodge. So literally kind of like what goes on there stays there, you know, because there's executives and everything. And I'm working with Stan Smith, who's the vice president of RGR. I don't know if he's still there. And uh, he says to me, look, they've arranged for a boat for you to do your filming and stuff. So they bring this boat over and the boat is really big and it's really high. It's got, and I, I say to Stan, I can't film out of this boat. I can't get to the fish, even to release the fish. I, I, we need like a Boston whaler, a boat that's closer to the water so we can do our work. It's Michael Ann comes over and uh, started saying, I hear, you, you know, you have a problem with the boat and calling me every crude name under the sun, short of spitting in my face and pushing me in the water and leaves. I don't know what's going on. I didn't do anything. I just spoke to the vice president to get a boat. So 
I, we do get a smaller boat and we do some filming. And then uh, Stan Smith, I was at the time with Henry Waschuk, who was my co-host for the show. I came over and said, uh, you guys want a tennis match? Because they had a tennis court there. They had a real putting green, you know, thing. It was a really high-end thing. And I go, well, we don't, you know, I've got hiking boots for fishing. I don't have running shoes and stuff. He goes, no, no, come on, we'll play. Mike Gallant and I will play doubles, okay? And uh, if uh, we win, we get to choose whatever you want. We want at the pro shop, and you guys have to pay for it. If you win, whatever you want at the pro shop, we'll pay for it. And the pro shop was like, you know, Revo sunglasses <laughs> and like $200 golf shirts and stuff. And I go into the pro shop, and I'm with Henry, and I go, wow. I mean, look at this. You don't have 200 bucks to buy like a golf shirt, you know. He goes, no, no, we'll play. So we're playing. We're playing tennis. And they're up two or three games. I don't know if you ever played tennis. You know, it's six six sets, right? Yeah. So we're, so we're playing, and they're they're beating us. And it's my turn to serve. And I used to play quite a bit of tennis, but like in high school, I serve a really good serve. It's in, and it hits Michael Land right in the crotch. He's the guy that was, I didn't, you know, I felt really bad, but in a way it was like, you know, so they played so bad after that. He played so bad that we won. So we got the shirts. So we finished the trip, fly back to Ontario. And my heart goes out to Michael Ant. I hear like a year later, the Michael Ant had a stroke and that he was like, he couldn't talk and everything. And then he was in hospital. So the Holy Spirit told me to write a letter. I wrote him a letter that it held nothing against him, that God loved him very much and everything. And I would pray for him just inside my head. Not, nobody knew I was praying for him. I get a phone call about a year later, and it's Mike Gallant calling me from um, Campbell River, B.C. He goes, Italo, I just want you to know that when I was in a coma, I saw you praying for me. Wow. And I've given my heart to the Lord. And I'm going to a local congregation. I've lost my lodge. He was offered like 20 million. He wouldn't sell the lodge. He lost his lodge because he couldn't run it because he had the stroke, you know. So I still pray for him. I'm not sure if he's alive, but God brings him to remembrance. So when I pray, I, I ask God to bring people to remembrance that he wants me to pray for. And he does that. Some people will pop into my mind from 30 years ago. And, and I say to God, God, I don't know if they're alive, but you brought them to remembrance. So I'm going to pray for them which is very interesting. And I've had, I've prayed for people like my aunt in Europe who has told me that she saw me praying for her. So not only do they feel God's presence, they see the person that's praying for them. Wow. So we're not talking about just, uh, you know, Southern Ontario to BC, but Southern Ontario. So this prayer, our prayers from anywhere to anywhere work. We just have to pray with us and see our heart. Yeah. We truly love the person. Yeah. Yeah. What an incredible story. Yeah. I wanted, can I share a, a book with you? I don't, I don't read many uh, books, but I wrote, I read this book and the other books that this gentleman wrote. He's a pastor. He was a pastor at Open Doors Christian Fellowship in London, Ontario. His name is um, Howard Katz. Um, both he and his brother Harvey Katz are Jewish and uh, they love the Lord very much. They started this church in London. I've spoken there. What, the last time that I spoke there is on our Italo Labigna YouTube channel. Um, he wrote this book before he passed away. He passed away of cancer. And it's called Eternal Salvation. So I don't know if you can see it with the glare. Yep, yeah, we can see it. And the reason I'm holding it up, um, a lot of people that have accepted Christ and that love God and are trying to grow in their walk with God, aren't sure if they can lose their salvation. And I'm a firm believer that when we accept Christ as our Savior sincerely, and we repent and we change our ways, even though we make mistakes and we sin, God is graceful to forgive us. And this is scriptural, scriptural. So I just want to encourage people that are listening to your podcast or watching on your YouTube channel that um, God loves them so much that once they belong to God, they are God's. And if if uh, they do mess up, as long as they confess it to God and repent, that God forgives them. So I, I've never read in the Bible that there's an eraser once your name is written in the Lamb Book of Life. So that God, God is so forgiving and loving 
that once you're his, you are his. Amen. Period. And also the other thing I wanted to mention was that I am speaking. I'll use this opportunity in case there's somebody in the London area. I'll just hold up my phone. This is called a reboot, um, reboot conference. It's in uh, London, Ontario. It's at London Gospel Temple, and it's uh, Saturday, March 25th. So it's just a poster that they've done. And at the bottom, they have Second Chronicles 714. So it's a reboot men's event. So I'll be speaking there um, at the end of March, March 25th. If anybody's in the London area and would like to meet me, um, you know, I can talk fishing and stuff, but I also share my heart with the men that are there and try to encourage them in their walk with God and to be men of integrity. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome that you have that opportunity to do that. Yes. Um, you talked about your YouTube channel. Um, what else? What other social media are you out well, there for people? Well, there's two uh, Facebook accounts, Italo Labignan and Canadian, actually three, Italo Labignan, Canadian Sport Fishing, Here's the Catch. There's Instagram, um, Here's the Catch, and Italo Labignan. And uh, the YouTube channel is the big one. Um they have about 14,000 subscribers, and they're uh, pretty hardcore subscribers that constantly interact and ask questions, you know, and that's where we post all of the videos and the TV shows, and even things that I do at church, you know, like the last speaking that I did, You Are the Church on the YouTube channel. Um, so, th- And people can also uh, contact me through our website. There's a forum called Ask Italo, and if they want to read the same testimony that I kind of condensed for you. People have asked me many times how I got started in fishing. So I give them the whole explanation. Ask Italo is a forum. It's not a dialogue. So when people ask me a question, I respond to it and it gets posted in the answers to Ask Italo. So they have to go back in and everything is categorized. You can use a search engine. So if it's, you know, either fish species orientated or faith or how to become a pro. Cause a lot of people ask me, you know, how did you get into fishing and you know, what do I have to do kind of thing? If I want to be uh have my own TV show or be a guide, that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's through Canadian sport fishing website. I was browsing yes. through that there. Yeah. Yeah. Canadian sportfishing.com. And we also have info at Canadian sportfishing.com. If you want to email me. Awesome. Um, Italo, thank you so much for taking some time and chatting with us today. I really appreciate that. Um, You're welcome. One thing our, our crack podcast, uh, research team, uh, have discovered that you always release the first catch of the day. Ooh, that's supposed to be uh, quiet. <laughs> Whoops. Um, <laughs> first fruits. First fruits. First fruits. It, all the fish, especially the fish, is giving me such a passion for fishing. All the fish belong to God. Yeah. So no matter what, if it's a monster fish or a small fish, the first one's always released. Amen. Yeah. That's and awesome. sometimes people, I've had situations where people have been in the boat and they haven't caught a certain type of fish, like a rainbow trout, and they caught the first one and they're so excited and they want to keep it. And they go, we're going to release it. And they go, no, well, I, you know, and then I reassure them, look, God will provide you know, and sometimes we don't catch a fish for an hour or two, but then they have lots of fish to take home. Yeah. That's so it, great. it's more, it's between me and God. I would never force somebody to do that, you know, but I think it's proper. So it's a good, good policy to have. And it, it's this whole thing about remembering that God loves us and that we serve God. Yeah. So even when I'm fishing, to release the first fish. And if people ask me, I'll, I'll explain it to them. You know, that all the fish belong to God. I'm just giving the first one back to him. They're all his. Yeah. You know, and if he blesses us with fish, great. If he doesn't bless us with any more, that's great too. So we can apply that to anything in life, right? Yeah, that's great. Italo, I just had one more question for you. Mm -hmm. Um, If if you were at a popular fishing area and you weren't even doing your show, you were just there and so without a film crew and stuff and and, uh, a couple guys roll in, and even though you said with the supply chain right now, but they roll in, they roll in with the big bass boat and the motor the size of a refrigerator and the truck that's all deckled out and they have their show and they've, they've got it all. But for whatever reason, you know, they don't have the Lord and you get a, an opportunity to chat with them really quick. What would you say? Um, I've worked with most of the, most of the shows, Fishing Canada Real Fishing, um, Fish TV, all of them. And I've even had a talk with Bob Izumi, 
you know, about the things that are important in life. So the question that you've posed me, I've gone through, um, and people at my level, and I'll explain to them that the most important thing is for them to know God. And they'll say, oh, well, my, well, my wife goes to church, or she's Catholic, or whatever. There's a difference between having a personal relationship with God, knowing that if you die, he's with you, and that he's with you in your life, and that you'll be with him forever. So I don't, um, I usually, I usually just try to understand if they have any concept of God. So I do at least the first step, the first step. That, that the most important thing is that they have a relationship with God. In some cases, that leads to more questions. What do you mean by a relationship? You know, or, you know, well, I go to church. So that automatically leads me to the second level, you know, where I explain that going to church is fine, but having a personal relationship with God is knowing that God's Holy Spirit, when we accept him, is inside us, and he leads us and protects us, and uh, we know that he directs our ways. So, it's just it's sensing the Holy Spirit, a spirit of discernment, and what to say, and especially especially if they look successful, you know, like when you say all these you know big boats and everything and stuff, because that's all perception. Everybody is dealing with something. I believe we're all broken people and we're all sinners till the day we die. It's only by God's grace that we're saved, and by God's grace that we can face tomorrow and the different issues that come in our lives. So everybody faces something, whether they admit it or not. Other people they know. So that's what I would do. I, I would um, I would try to ask them if they have a personal relationship with God. Awesome. And you know, I've been golfing on a golf course, you know, with with someone that's a total stranger. My wife was with me, and I went over to him. Never played golf before, not not with this gentleman. And uh, it was interesting. I felt the Holy Spirit saying, "Go over to him and ask him if he has faith in God." So I went over to him out of the blue. Do you have faith in God? And he turned to me and he said, funny you should ask that. You know, I've been questioning, you know, um, about God, whether God is real. And I just recently had some colon surgery and I don't know what's going to happen. And then we, we spoke, prayed together, met together a few times. He started attending a church. His life changed, his habits changed and everything. So to me, it's being led by the Holy Spirit in what you say. So we don't want if if we're if we're not trusting God uh, and the Holy Spirit, we could say things that actually turn people away from God. So yeah. it's very important to be sensitive. Look at look at Jesus how he responded to people. You know he he uh, didn't always preach. You know the first things that he did was love people, even people right to the end when he asked God to forgive the people that were. Put him on the cross, you know. So it, it's having that love for people and having the courage and the confidence to speak to them, because you have God's Spirit inside you, and you don't know where they are. And if they sense God's Spirit, they'll open up and they'll ask more more questions, and a friendship will arise, whether it's short or long, and more time to share with them the wonders of our wonderful God. And hopefully, if it's God's will, he'll draw them to him and save him. I, I do believe, you know, we have a, one grandson, his name is Benjamin. And when he was very young, I don't know if he was four or five, one morning he said to his mom, you know, mom, we don't choose God. God chooses us. And this is coming from a babe, you know. And uh, she said, yeah, you're right, you know. So we can't say it with pride, but God chose us. God chose us to reveal himself to him. He chose Jesus to live and to die on the cross. The apostles were chosen. So God's the one that's all powerful, and it's all for his glory. Yeah. So to me, we, we pray that God will choose the person that we're talking to. We don't know, so we go ahead and we talk to them, you know, and we try to ask them if they have faith in God, if they know God, if they have a personal relationship with God. No matter what, where they are. I mean, I've had this discussion with people that are presidents of companies, you know, and, and people that we worked with at lodges. I just feel it on my heart. You know, it's our, our pilot. And I ask him, you know, if you were to die today, do you know where you'd go? You have faith in God. So it's anybody, any walk of life. Yeah. We should never be discouraged by someone's position, whether they're a personality celebrity or um, someone that's shunned by people. 
you know, that's on the street, maybe a homeless person or someone that looks like they have it all and they think they're God, you know, in their institution that they're ruling. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you so Amen. much. Thank you so much You're for welcome. your time. Yeah. It was great to meet you. Nice to meet you. Maybe one day we'll meet in person. And if you want to be like Jesus, eat fish. <laughs> Remember that. Bless you, brother. Thank you. Such a great story of the power of prayer. Powerful testimony. Friends, this is where we can believe in God. But there's a realness that comes. The realness that comes from the Holy Spirit. So if you're a Christian that knows this reality, I just encourage you to be bold to share that with people that God has put in front of you. And if you're someone that just merely believes in God, just want to encourage you that there's so much more to it and encourage you to search, to pray, and to ask for that infilling of the Holy Spirit.